Support for the Trailblazers.fm podcast comes from the Campaign for Black Male Achievement, a national membership network that reminds us there's no cavalry coming to save the day in our communities. We are the iconic leaders we've been waiting for, the curators of the change we're seeking to see. To learn more about the groundbreaking work of the Campaign for Black Male Achievement, visit tbpod.com slash achievement. You're listening to the Trailblazers podcast, where we will explore the stories of successful Black professionals. Join us as we highlight the knowledge, resources, and tools of these accomplished trailblazers to help provide the know-how, confidence, and motivation you need to blaze your trail. And now, here's your host, Stephen Hart. What's up, Blazing Nation? Welcome back to episode 103 of the Trailblazers.fm podcast. I'm excited. Our guest today is Art Steele. Art is an estate planning and intellectual property attorney who's been practicing law for nearly 10 years now. And she left corporate, corporate America, to launch her own law practice in 2014 and is dedicated to helping creatives legalize their business. She's also a podcaster and hosts Legal Ease for Entrepreneurs. It's the only podcast dedicated to educating and empowering minority entrepreneurs that need to tackle the legal aspects of their business. In addition to providing legal counsel to small businesses, you can feel her passion in today's call around helping minorities build wealth through estate planning. Art received her JD from American University and also an LLM in tax from Georgetown Law School. She's licensed to practice law in Virginia, D.C. and Maryland, and is also a part-time law professor at American University in Washington, D.C., where she teaches wills, trusts, and estates. In today's episode, Art goes in and shares why estate planning is for everyone, and especially people of color. And you're going to be moved to hear her explanation on why it's the single most significant factor determining whether our next generation is going to have a leg up. Disclaimer, quick disclaimer, Art and I are friends, and like friends do, we got talking on this call before either of us, both of us are podcasters, no one hit record, so you're going to miss the first couple questions. Um, My usual gratitude play got cut out, and it just means that we get you closer to the mission fuel. Uh, And so tune in. I challenge everyone right now to get this episode in front of 10 people today and ask each of those people to share it up and tell someone else about the podcast. I'm on a mission to continue to expand the reach of the podcast this year. But listen, there is power in what Art is sharing. She's geeked up about estate planning, and I love it because it was delivered in a way that was simple to absorb. I didn't have to burn a ton of calories trying to make sense of what Art was sharing. And there's powerful knowledge that all of us need to know and need to be able to share with our community. I want you guys to be having dialogue about this episode in your circles, with your girls, with your boys, at the barbershop, at the hair salon, you know, at work, in the break room, right? Share this message up, right? And tell people because this is going to transform our community and our, our families and our friends to be able to get in the place they need to be to pass along wealth to that next generation behind us, right? So let's get set to dive into today's content with our featured trailblazer, Art Steele. Enjoy. You've been practicing law now for almost a decade, right? Yes. <laughs> 2009. 2009. What was the motivation for getting into law and, and focusing on tax? Oh, wow. Getting into law. Let's see. 
So when we, I mentioned that we moved here when I was 12, my father actually was a lawyer in Liberia and he was the, he was counsel for the the ruling party. And so when the way it happens or it did happen back then was when the new people take over, they kill all the old, like, you know, not old, but the former and so when the government was overthrown, which caused the civil war, we had to leave Liberia because he would have been killed. And we had evidence of this because there was a prior, there was a coup like five years prior to the war starting. And it was unsuccessful, but they had come to our house looking for him. So we knew the second time around we could, he wasn't there. We knew the second time around we couldn't chance it. Anyway, long story short, we came to the U.S. through political asylum because he was going to be persecuted by the government. That's kind of the meaning of political asylum. And it was a corporate law firm, like, you know, one of those big major law firms that took my parents' case pro bono, did it completely free of charge. My parents actually left us in Ghana and came to the U.S. to, you know, kind of get on their feet. And this law firm helped them apply for political asylum and then eventually file for us to come to the U.S. And so I had always been impressed by that. And I had just always thought of lawyers. I, I mean, I knew my dad was a lawyer, but I honestly didn't know what he did. <laughs> I mean, he, he did work, but it had never really occurred to me. And so when I learned about that story, I just thought about how important lawyers were. And I wanted to be one. And when I went to law school, I actually, nobody, a lot of people don't know this. My dream job, the reason I kind of went to law school or what I wanted to do was I wanted to be a JAG officer because I had watched A Few Good Men (laughs) and I wanted to be like Tom Cruise. And so I went to law school, like I had spoken to all these people who had been JAG officers. I was going to join the military, all this like stuff, right? And so I get to law school and the military comes to recruit and I was about to sign up and one of the professors was protesting. And this is like just to give you an idea of how clueless I kind of I was about a lot of things. And so this professor is protesting and I'm like, why are you protesting the military? And he was like, well, they discriminate against gays. And I'm like, what do you mean? He was like, (laughs) they don't like gays in the military. Don't ask, don't tell means that, well, gays can be there, but they can't be open, you know, or else they'll get kicked out. And I had heard about Don't Ask, Don't Tell, but I had just never really thought about what it was because nobody in my family, I didn't really know anybody in the military. And I was just crushed because I was like, there's no way I can join this, I don't know what it is, an agency organization that discriminates against gays. Like, if somebody wants to die for their country, that's like the ultimate honor. And for you to not allow them to do that because of their sexuality is just kind of crazy. And it was like, they, you know, they use the same excuses for black people and all that stuff. But anyway, so I was like, okay, well, I can't, (laughs) I'm not going to the military anymore. And so I decided that I was going to work at a major law firm because they just paid a lot of money. And I was like, I want to make money when I graduate from law school. And I was going to do litigation, which is just going to court. But then my third year, I took wills, trust, and estates, and I took tax law. And it was in that class, those classes, that I realized that every aspect of our lives are affected by taxes. And wills, trusts, and estate planning was the key to passing wealth down. And I was like, this is what I need to be doing. Like, these people, and when I say these people, I mean white people, 
estate planners, these people are using these laws and rules to build generational wealth. Like, why aren't we doing that? And so I was like, this is what I want to do. And so the law firm that I had already accepted a job at didn't have an estate planning practice, not in the DC office. So they had a tax one. So I switched to the tax group and I was doing corporate tax. I was doing mergers and acquisitions and tax restructuring and, you know, doing partnership agreements. So that's where I got my like transactional contract writing and, you know, like entity structuring and all of my business law experience. And then I left there and I went to discovery again. I was like, kind of, I was kind of afraid of going out on my own because I knew that's what I would have to do. So I was kind of kicking the can down the road and I went to discovery and that's where I got my IP experience because discovery communications discovery channel does a lot of content. And so that's how I got into law school or that's why I went to law school. And that's how I got into tax and IP. 10 years in what's the biggest challenge that you've had to deal with in getting to where you are today. Ooh, I would say the, I would say the biggest challenge is learning how to run a business. When I was in law school, I learned how to be a lawyer. When I went to work at the law firm, I learned how to be an amazing lawyer. When I went to work at Discovery, I learned how to be a great counselor to advise clients. Nowhere in my training I've ever learned to run a business. <laughs> and that's been the biggest challenge. And that it's like on every level. There's obviously the administrative stuff that you have to make sure, especially for lawyers, we have so many rules and regulations and ethical obligations. And then there's also the marketing and the messaging and the selling, all of those things that you need to have a successful business, you are never taught. And so you have to learn on your own. So as you look ahead right now, we're going to be talking estate planning in a second, but what's driving you in the work that you're doing today? Like what's the mission going forward? Hmm. What's driving me is I feel like I've gotten to see how laws, companies, and individuals use the laws to build wealth. And I just want to spread that word. I don't think it's fair that only big corporations have access to amazing and great and smart and brilliant lawyers. I just think it's unfair. And as I was sitting at Discovery, I just remember thinking to myself, like, I'm doing brain cracking work. I'm like, they discovery would want to buy some company in some foreign country. And I would have to go through the tax code and come up with a memo for how they should structure the deal so that they don't trip over any tax laws and cost the company like millions and millions of dollars. And I was sitting there, I'm like, why am I using my talent and my gift for this company? If I were to die today, they would replace me like somebody I think I saw on the internet recently before I was even in the ground, right? So why am I using my gift to do this? Like I have this gift. I have knowledge of ways that people in smaller businesses can build their wealth. Why not help them do that instead of this company who already has a gazillion dollars? So that's what drives me is just wanting for small businesses to have access to the same quality of legal work that a big corporation would have. You want to help individuals. What's the mission in that? Well, I mean, especially for, well, for individuals and small businesses, because most, you know, small businesses are, I look at them actually as individuals. 
my mission is to help, especially people of color, build generational wealth. That is my mission. My mission is for, I mean, because I see as an estate planning attorney, I see so much, I see so many times when money is squandered, even when people have it or have saved it or have had really good jobs. I've seen it be squandered because there was no estate planning. There was nothing in place. And it's, and I've also seen being after graduating from law school and working at a major law firm with majority white people. And I've seen how generational wealth makes a huge difference. A lot of my colleagues came out of law school with no loans. I came out of law school with six figures, (laughs) a mortgage basically of loans. And that just makes a huge difference in how long you stay, how quickly you can buy a house. There were people, there were some of my colleagues who were buying a house the summer before we even got our first like paycheck. And I was like, how are you buying a house? Oh, my parents are putting down a down payment. And it's like, okay. (laughs) Um, yeah, I'll be like glad if my parents can afford a plane ticket to come visit me or something or fly me around the world. You know, it, it was just a different level. And so that's my mission. My mission is to help our generation understand how important it is to start building wealth and passing it down correctly. Love it. Love it. So in addition to you have so many titles and hats that you're wearing, right? But And you also teach wills, trusts, and estates at American University here in, in Washington, D.C. Some months ago, we had lunch in Bethesda. And left thinking about several things around this topic of estate planning. And I'm really happy for us to get to spend some time talking about that and sharing the benefit of estate planning with our audience. And I remember us actually preparing this talk preparing for this talk, and you shared that estate planning is for everyone, and especially people of color. You you touched on that here. But you said that it's the single most significant factor determining whether the next generation is going to have a leg up. And you're touching on this right now. I love that you say it's for everyone. And I kind of want to reiterate that because sometimes I feel like we think, we hear the word estate planning, right? like something that's meant for rich people Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i actually say that estate planning is more important for people of color or not, not necessarily people of color but poor people and the reason it is is because like i always say if a super rich person dies nobody has i mean like we're worrying about who's gonna get the millions yeah it's gonna be a mess in that sense But we're not worrying about how he or she is going to be buried. We're not worried about whether or not their kids are going to have a place to stay. We're not worried about whether or not their kids are going to be able to go to school or the person who their kids stay with is going to be able to afford to take care of them. So, yeah, super rich people need to do estate planning. And after the recent tax law, they have way more leeway, which we're not going to get into. They've basically doubled the exemption, but they need to do estate planning so that they don't pay as much taxes, right? But we're talking about millions. People are going to get money. When poor people don't plan, we have devastating effects. And what a lot of people feel, I think a lot of people feel like, I don't have anything to pass down. So why do I need to do a will? I'm not rich. So why do I need to do, I don't own a house. I don't do this. I don't do that. So why do I need to have a will or a trust or anything? 
Or, and I actually, I used to feel this way. Go ahead. I'm going to break you right there. Mm -hmm. And I want us to continue this. But before we do, let's maybe break down in layman's lingo. Mm -hmm. Feel simple, right? Help Blaze Nation make sense of what's an estate plan, what's a trust, and what's a will. And Uh, maybe explain the differences between them. Right. Okay. So an estate plan is just how your estate, meaning your assets, will be dealt with if or when you die. And so there are a few vehicles that you can use. A lot of people are very common with what's called a will, also a last testament. A will is basically going to say how you want to dispose of your property. The purpose of the will is to basically show the court that you know what you're doing, you know what property you own, and that you were of sound mind when you dispose of your property. So the will is really, it's for the court. It's a court document. So that's where you would state your name, who you're married to, your children, and then you would dispose of your property. In the will. In the will, yes. Now, the thing with the will is that it is a, once it's filed with the court, it becomes public record. So everything you put in the will, anyone can read it. And so that's why, and we won't even get into what people want to put in their will. But when you want to say, I don't want my kid to have anything because he's a loser, that's going to be public record and everybody can see that. And so what a lot of people started to do is because they didn't want for everything to be in the will and for it to be public record, because as you could imagine, you know, let's say you leave a million dollars to your kids, people could look at that and they could target your children and, you know, do all these things to try to get the money from them or take advantage of them. So you can create a will, but then you can create what's called a trust where you can dispose of your property in the trust. Now, when you hear of a trust fund, that's where that term comes from. So you, and not to get too much into the legal complexity of it, but you would basically say in your will, I leave everything to my trust, right? And so the will is still a public document because it has to be filed with the court, right? But all that they're going to see is, this is Art deal. I am married to X person, I have one child, I reside in Virginia, and I leave all my property to the trustee of the Art Steel Trust. That's the end of it. And then the trust is not a testamentary document, meaning it's not a document that is disposing of your property technically because the will does that. So the trust is not public. So that's why a lot of people take advantage of trust planning. That's one of the reasons, because you can dispose of the property however you want. You can say, I give, you know, a hundred dollars to this person and this organization and that organization, and you can keep all of that stuff private. Now, the other reason why people use a trust for estate planning for disposing of their estate is because within the trust, you can put conditions on how you want that money or those assets to be distributed. And that's another reason. That's probably the main reason why so many people use it is because when you do it in the will, again, it's all public. If you do it in the trust, you can say, I don't want my kids to get this money until they're 25 years old. I don't want them to get this money unless they go to college or unless they go to an Ivy League school or unless they, whatever, marry somebody of a certain whatever. All those things you can put in the trust and you can, and you will have a trustee 
who will manage the trust and distribute it based on how you tell them to do it. The third reason is for tax reasons. There are a lot of tax rules that you can get around that are perfectly legal. It's just the tax will, you know, tax rules are set up so that if you put some things in a trust, you don't have to pay taxes on it right away. It's tax beneficial for the beneficiaries. So for example, if you leave money to your children in a trust and you set up the trust a certain way, they don't have that money is not considered income to them. It's just money that they have waiting. So then that way they don't have to file a tax returns because their dad left them, you know, $50,000. Or if somebody sued them, they can't come after the money in the trust because technically the children don't own it if you set it up the right way. So those are the reasons why people use trust. Now you can have two types of trust. You can have a revocable trust, meaning at any point while you're alive, you can change it. Or you can have an irrevocable trust, which means that you cannot change it unless it's under very strict circumstances. And so those have their own reasons. But whenever you hear wills and trusts, that's what those are the differences between them. So the will and the trust lives within this concept of an estate plan. Yes. yes? Uh huh. So there are other things too with estate plan, right? In terms of well, advice, like so, like living will and right. health directives and all that stuff, right? Exactly. And I think a lot of people sometimes feel like they may need to choose between a financial advisor and a lawyer. But I always tell my clients that I'm not a financial advisor. So I can't tell you how to invest your money or you know what to do with it. An ideal estate plan would have input from your financial advisor and an estate planning attorney. Because Again, I can't say how you should invest your stocks or whatever, but I would need to know your total assets and how you plan on giving them away. And I would need to know the amount because you may have tax implications. Now, one thing I'll say before I get to the power of attorney and the healthcare directive is that even though the federal, because, you know, you have your federal taxes and you have your state taxes, right? At the end of the year, we have, we filed both. It's the same way with estate planning. You have your federal estate tax rules, and then you have state estate tax rules. Now, some states don't have an estate tax. Some states do. For example, Virginia does not have an estate tax or an inheritance tax. So that means if you give your child $500 million, they won't pay taxes on it in Virginia. They have other federal issues. And so whenever you're looking at your estate plan, you have to look at the rules for the state that you're in because you may not meet the federal level. The federal right now, well, it's going to be, I think, doubled to like 11 million. So if you die with anything less than 11 million, which Stephen, I'm sure you're really close to, <laughs> you are going to not have to pay any taxes. However, if you live in D.C., DC is down to a million and I think they're trying to get it up. If you, there's some other states that are varying levels. So you still want to engage in estate planning because you want to make sure you're not going to end up paying taxes because you just didn't do some simple trust planning that you could have done. Now, the other documents that you want to include in your estate plan, and I actually feel like every single person, not I feel like every single person, should have this document. And it's actually probably the single most important document that you can have. And that's a power of attorney. 
And a power of attorney is a document that gives someone else the power to act on your behalf in certain circumstances. And the common circumstances is if you are incapacitated. And so you can have a power of attorney that is conditioned upon you being incapacitated, meaning that person can only use the powers that are defined in that document when you become incapacitated, or you can have a power of attorney that is just open and that person can has the power to act on your behalf as long as the power of attorney is signed. And the reason that's really important is because I always tell people that if something, a lot of people think of estate planning and they think of death, which generally, yes, but estate planning is also really good for when there's something that happens and you could be incapacitated. You could be in a car accident and you could be in a coma. You could be, you know, in surgery or whatever, where you are not able to make decisions on your own and you would need to have someone make those decisions for you. And you would need that person to have access to your business accounts or your bank accounts, your mortgage, your rent payments, all of those things continue even if you're sick, right? And so if you don't have a power of attorney, the only way that someone can get access to any of your, to your medical records and the power of attorney, it's general and can be for anything. And then there's what's called an advanced medical directive or a healthcare power of attorney or a living will. All of those three terms I just said are the same thing. But it basically, the healthcare power of attorney is, it's for health issues. If you don't have those documents in place, the only way someone can go, can make decisions for you, or they can access any of your finances is if they go to court, they have to file a petition, a conservatorship petition in court. And I always tell people the court is not going to be like, oh, this person is in a coma and they need, you need to get money out of their account to pay X bill. Oh, let me just sign this thing. No, like you have to have a hearing and you have to show proof that you're a credible person. You have to get a bond, meaning like you have to go in, you know, like when you're in jail and you have to get a a bills bondsman. So there's just time and more money. Absolutely. You have to go and get that just to be the conservator of some like your brother or your sister or your parent or your child. It's thousands of dollars because you have a lawyer. You have to hire a lawyer. Because some companies won't even give you the bond. The court is not going to make you a conservator unless you have a bond. Some companies won't give you a bond unless you have a lawyer. Some companies base that bond on credit checks, citizenship status. I mean, it's crazy when you can pay a lawyer two, three hundred dollars to draft a power of attorney for you. Wow. I, you know, I, we just finally got through. Kristen and I found it really important to do this will and advance healthcare directive and, and all of that, right? And primarily, the push was our kids. Mm-hmm. And just being sure that if something were to happen, there'd be that protection in place. But again, I come back to it. I love the fact that you you harped on everyone needing this. Every single person. And, you know, you mentioned that the reason why you did it is because you have kids. Yeah. I, I always tell people, the messiest people, if you will, are single people. Because push comes to shove. I mean, obviously, it would be very tragic if you and your wife died at the same time. But the chances of that happening are pretty slim. 
And if only one of you dies, at least one parent is there. And that parent is generally, generally going to get access and the one to take care of the kids. But I always tell and have access to your bank accounts. You probably have joint accounts. And a lot of banks have rules for husbands and wives who they will give over a certain amount of money in the bank account if X, Y, Z, you know. So those, yes, you should absolutely still do it. But single people need it the most because you probably don't have anybody on your bank account as a joint owner, as a single person who's 30 years old. And what I tell people, and a lot of people will say, well, I have my mom on my bank account as my beneficiary. She only gets access to that if you die. What happens if you're incapacitated? And I always tell people, like, I actually had a friend who, young person, single, was hit by a car. Thank God he was fine. This happened a while ago. And his dad was there by his side. And I was like, can you imagine if your dad now had to be worrying about you being in this ho- in the hospital and had to try to figure out how to pay your bills, what to do with your house, how to go get your car when your rent is due and have to hire a lawyer to do all this stuff. So every single person walking <laughs> or not walking, every person living and breathing should have at the very least a power of attorney. You know, and I love that you share that. For those of us who are listening who have dependent children, what are some of the key things we probably aren't aware of Mm. that makes this process even more important? Like, what could go wrong without this in place? Well, gosh. So, I think, okay, so... Question. (laughs) Yeah, okay. So, the benefit of having a will when you have children, dependent children, minor children, the benefit of having a will is that you will name in the will the guardian of your children. Now, the court will never just take that at face value when it comes to minors, because the court is always charged with figuring out whether or not someone is fit to take care of a minor and whether or not it is in that minor's best interest to be with that person. So you could put your brother But if, you know, let's say, what are we, 2018, you could put your brother there now and then, you know, 20, well, how old are your kids? Seven? I think the oldest is seven. Yeah. Right. So let's say four years from now when she's 11 and something happens to you and your brother now lives in a different country. I don't know if you have a brother, but I'm just saying he may not be fit, even though that's who you have named. So the court is always going to evaluate whether or not that person is the proper person to take care of the children. But the other thing that you have to list in your will is the guardian of the minor's property, meaning the money. So children or minors cannot inherit legal title to money or to any property, cannot inherit legal title, meaning they can't, your 11 year old can't get like 50 or 100 or 20 or, you know, whatever thousands of dollars. Someone else has to be in charge of that. And you have to name that person in your will. And if you don't, then the court will appoint someone. Now, this can be complicated because this can now mean that people could start fighting over the kids because they want the money. I've seen it happen. All of these examples that I'm giving you are examples that either I've dealt with personally as a lawyer for my clients or I've heard stories from other lawyers. Okay, so that's the reason why you want to do that. If you don't do that, what will happen is because minors cannot inherit money, the court is going to put that money in trust for them, right? So the court is going to create a trust. Now, 
up until they're 18, someone is going to manage that money. When they turn 18 years old, they're going to get all of it because the court is like, you're an adult. You can take care of your own money. And what I usually ask people is, can you remember when you were 18? (laughs) And can you remember what you did with that credit card that you had like a thousand dollars worth? Now imagine if you had hundreds of thousands of dollars. Rolling. (laughs) Riding dirty, right? Right. It's like that money would be gone. And what happens is every year, if the court has to create a trust, the person who is the trustee has to go to the court every single year and give a report of how they spent that money. Once that kid turns 18, they get that money and they never have to go to the court anymore. And so I actually had a friend who his, I think his niece, his sister-in-law or brother-in-law died. The parents died and the niece came to live with them and the parents had not set up a trust. And so the life insurance, they, you know, my friend and his wife were the guardian of this child and they, he managed the money. Um, cause he was like, uh, you know, he was Jamaican, he is Jamaican actually. He's sort of a day trader. So he managed the money, grew her life insurance policy up to like $250,000. He had put all these things in place. She had a set, you know, she had applied to college. She had gotten in. He put all these measures in where the school would get their, you know, would have automatic payments and everything. But when she turned 18, she got this money and it was gone within six months, all $250,000 squandered it she was renting hotels and of course she had some loser boyfriend who had her do you know not had her but who was there with her and and you know it's like you never know what your child is going to be like at 18 I mean you can't know what your child's going to be like at 35 but you can you know make an educated just guess that they're going to be a little bit more mature at 30 hopefully than they will be at 18 you know and so that's the problem with not putting those things in place and not creating a trust because if you just leave the money to your children and the other thing that i like to tell people is that if you just leave if you have a life insurance policy and you put your child as a beneficiary that life insurance policy cannot pay that check out to that child So they're not going to pay any of that money out until someone comes with a court order that they've been appointed the guardian of the child's property. So that's one of the reasons why you don't want to put your children as beneficiaries on a life insurance policy, because the life insurance company, if they're minors, is not going to pay it out to them. And it could hold up the entire process because, you know, who's going to be taking care of that child while you're going to court? Now you have to hire a lawyer. And I had to, I had to do one of these cases recently and it was horrible because the case was in court so long that the child eventually turned 18 because his mother died when he was like 16 going on 17 or 16 years old, something like that. Couldn't get social security benefits, couldn't get school record. I mean, it was just a mess. It was a mess. So anybody listening to this, there's no excuse. You definitely need to put something in place, especially for your children. So you touch on this and I have to say, I really love this breakdown and this conversation because you brought so many nuggets of wisdom in this. I mean, it's really simple for me to understand. I've done quite a bit of this in the past year. Uh, You've talked about the what, right? You've explained what all of these different pieces are, but I kind of want to, and you touched on some of this, but I, I want to come back now to the point you made. And have you really cement why estate planning is so powerful in giving mm. the next generation 
that leg up. Right. Well, so about, well, something I discovered when I was in law school, right? Remember when I told you I took tax and I took Will's Trust in the States and I was like, oh my God, this is how minorities are going to be rich. Of course, I was nobody. Nobody listened to me. But last year, Brandeis University, in conjunction with another institute, published an article. And that article is called The Asset Value of Whiteness, which I actually have all of my students read the first day of class. Because people think like Will's Trust in the States is the most boring class in law school. And so they like want to have a snooze fest. And so I kind of do this to show them how important it is. And that article is so amazing. It's so groundbreaking because it dispels all of the myths that people think are the reasons why white people are richer or that black people and Latino people are poorer. And some of them are that you know, black people don't, and I'll just say people of color, people of color don't have college degrees or they don't make high enough, uh, enough money. They don't live in single parent homes as much. They don't save as much. They spend their stuff, their money on frivolous things. And so this study looked at white people and minority people in the same category. So they looked at a college graduate who was white and a college graduate who was a person of color. And that person had more access to cash. They looked at the person making the six-figure salary who was white versus the person of color. They looked at the single-parent home and the two-parent home, you know, with the proper components. And in every single category, they found that white people still had more money and more access to cash. And the reason why this was is because white people had a head start on passing wealth down from generation to generation. And the conclusion of this article was that the single most important factor, the only way to close the gap is not by saving money, not by making more money, is by passing it down. And so that's why I feel like this message is so important. And I'm so excited about all of the, especially black women who we have in the financial space who are helping people save money and do all these things and get out of debt. And, you know, but I feel like we're missing a huge component in that message because we're not telling people how they need to pass this down. So it doesn't matter if you earn a six figure salary. It doesn't matter if you're not in debt. If you don't put the proper things in place so that when your child is 18, they don't squander $250,000 in six months, you know, and I go to a lot of I'm in the American Bar Association and I go to all the symposiums for trust and estates planning. And, you know, a lot of those people there have clients who are like who make like they have generations of millions of dollars, billions. They manage families right? They have presentations and they're like, Hey, you are 21. You're going to get your million dollars. Let me tell you how this family came about. And so I asked this guy, you know, I was like, so like, you know, when you get someone who comes from a generation that has millions, what exactly are you doing for that person? And he said, to be honest, I'm not doing that much. It's kind of hard to lose that much money. You know, my main goal with those people is just to make sure that they kind of feel a connection to the family. He said, but I'll tell you something. He said, the most important client who walks into my office is the person who has $100,000. That's the most important client because it is for that person that I can do the most. It is for that person that if I manage their money correctly, if they grow their money, if I plan their estate correctly, 
two or three generations from now, they can have those children that have millions. Wow. wow. Right? And so for people to think like, oh, I'm sorry, I, I just don't own a home. I don't have that much. I always tell somebody like, Stephen, if somebody came to you and said, oh, your great grand whoever died or your aunt or whatever, and she left you $50,000, right? You could do something with that, right? I'm guessing. For real, for real. For yeah. real, for real. And so I tell people, even if you have, even if you can get a twenty or $30,000 life insurance policy, right. that's something. You know, it's that's why it's so important for people of color to understand that even getting a life insurance policy of $50,000 could set the course for a generation. We're not talking that much money. You know, this article that I was just talking about, they talk about how one of the reasons why GIs or why people were able to pass whites were able to pass wealth down is because when the, I guess the GI bill assisted a lot of white people who came from Vietnam, like uh, veterans, in buying a house. And so they were able to pass that house down. And just having that house, just having a house where so-and-so who doesn't have a job can go and live in the family house. And I have to worry about bills, not have to worry about ruining their credit because they get kicked out of their place or whatever. Just having that helps the generation. All right. I love this. I love this conversation. And I hope that everyone listening is hitting that 15 second rewind like a bunch <laughs> of because there's a wealth of knowledge in what you've shared. No pun intended. <laughs> but what's the process, right? For, yeah. for Let's talk about the process for getting an estate plan started. Is that something that, you know, we can do ourselves? Or is the process going to cost several thousands right. to, to put that in place? Well, like everything else, it varies, right? There is a lot we can do ourselves. We can get our own life insurance policies, right? We can make sure that on our bank accounts, a lot of times somebody will come to me and I'll say, you know what, you actually may not need a will. I mean, everybody should get a will and everybody should try to get a trust. But every single person who walks in my door at that point doesn't need to drop twenty-five or three or four thousand dollars on the whole shebang. Because there is so much, there's so much. Anybody who is listening, do this, okay? And it's not legal advice. This is just your friend talking to you. You can put beneficiaries on your bank account. There are so many people I have I have clients who come to me who have had someone who died who had tens of thousands of dollars in their bank account, who didn't have a beneficiary. Wow. So where does that money go? So it goes to your estate. Ah. And that now means that that account has to be included as a part of your probate. So here's the other thing that I didn't mention. If you don't have a will, because (laughs) over 50% of people in America don't have a will. So if you don't have a will, the estate, the state estate laws are going to determine how your property is divided. They will say, okay, let's say you have, and it varies from state to state. So that's why you don't want to leave it up to the state. So for example, in Virginia, if you are married, it goes automatically to your spouse. If you're married with kids and those kids are from your spouse, then it goes automatically to the spouse. In Maryland, it's not like that. If you're married and you have kids with that person, And only that person, the spouse only gets a certain portion and the kids get the rest. So it really depends on the state and it doesn't make sense. You know, they just kind of do it based on what they think the average person would want to do. So you don't want to leave it up to the state at the very least on your bank accounts, on your brokerage accounts, on your retirement accounts, put 
a beneficiary, right? The other thing about the power of attorney, a lot of banks, there's somewhat of a movement where the banks have their own form. So, and they would prefer to use that form and for you to sign that form instead of you bringing one that you've drafted from an attorney. So I always tell people to start with their banks and ask their bank if they have a preferred form that they would want to use for their power of attorney so that if something were to happen to you, you know, the other thing about power of attorney, a lot of states have what's called a statutory form. So the states, the state legislatures have created a statutory power of attorney that should be fine to work if you live in that state. And so they've basically created it and made it really simple. And you can just check which powers you want the person to have. For example, do you want them to be able to sell your property? Do you want them to be able to, you know, go into your bank account, discuss your tax issues? So that's another thing that a lot of people can do. So those are things that we can all do on our own. And at the very least, we should try to do that. If you have children, you should contact an estate planning attorney. And like I mentioned, it varies from state to state. So, you know, I'm barred in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. So I can't do or I can't draft a will for someone who lives in New York or North Carolina because I'm not barred in that state. And I don't know what the North Carolina law is for estate planning because I don't, I haven't taken that bar. I don't practice there. So you need to find an estate planning attorney now. How much does it cost? It varies depending on the level or depending on the complexity of your estate plan and depending on the lawyer's experience and what you're going to be getting. But what I tell people is the $2,500 or $4,000 or $5,000 you're going to pay to guarantee that your children will continue or that your legacy will continue and that it will help your children Or if you don't have children, maybe your brother's children or sister's children in the next generation is worth it. Because if you if you don't spend that five thousand dollars, it's going to cost more guaranteed or four or two, whatever it ends up being. I'm not saying that it costs five. It could, depending on where you live, depending on the rate in the area. And truth be told, I mean, we'll spend five grand in a heartbeat to go on a vacation. Yes. Yeah. Right. So. You know. and, and it's not, it's not, I mean, I don't charge $5,000 for an estate plan for a single person or even a married couple. It just really depends on the level of planning. That's not the starting point. I was just trying to make a point. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. I mean, but the importance of it. Right. It's worth 5000 And, oh, here's one more thing. Absolutely do not use LegalZoom. Please do not use LegalZoom to write your will. Wow. Here's the thing with LegalZoom, and I don't want anybody to think, oh, she's saying that because they're a competitor. I actually have had probate issues with people who have used LegalZoom wills, and I've had people come to me after they had a LegalZoom will, had a friend die, looked at their will and was like, wait, this is not going to work. So they're not a competitor for me. But the reason why you should not use LegalZoom is because they're just giving you a form meaning they just have blanks and then you fill in your information, but they don't know anything about your family, about the state laws, like specifically taxes. They're not going to give you any information about, I'm not avoiding tax, but I'm taking advantage of any tax laws that you may be entitled to. They're not going to give you any of that information. On top of that, a lot of courts are starting to not accept those wills because they feel like, 
they're not being drafted by lawyers, right? And they're like, how do I even know that this person adhered to all of the formalities when they signed this document? How do we know it was even so-and-so who signed this document? You know, and a lot of people will not sign it properly. Like you have to have two witnesses. They have to witness you sign it. Whenever I do a will for a client, I am there and I make sure that the notary, the person who's notarizing the will acknowledges the witnesses. And I ask this person questions to make sure that they are of sound mind so that if there's ever a contest, if someone says, oh, you know, my mom gave all the money to my brother. She was crazy. I can come into court and say, here's how it all went down at the signing ceremony. You can't do that through legal zoom because they just tell you to print it off and they tell you go to a bank and get two witnesses and a notary. I mean, you're, you can't secure your future with that. So if you're going to do that, you might as well handwrite your will. That would stand up better in court than a legal zoom will. Appreciate you sharing that though. That's some good wisdom. So all right, we unfortunately need to wrap up here, but are there any good books on the topic that, you know, you probably recommend folks look at? A good book. I mean, I think a great book is, um, I can't remember the name of the author, but Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Richard Kiyosaki. Yes. That's a great book that just helps people understand the point of passing wealth down. I would strongly advise every, not advise, that sounds so lawyerly. I would suggest that people read the article that I referenced because it's so, it's like eye-opening when you read this. There was another article that recently came out. I think it was Forbes magazine that basically said that Blacks and Latinos are going to be like earning zero or have zero income by, I think, 2025 or something. And so we're trending to zero wealth by 2050. Yeah, um, is that is that what it is? It's an article done by Policy Now, and I'll also all these papers. I'll make sure I hyperlink to them in the show notes page right. over at com. And if anybody wants to find out more information about how to go about picking an estate planning attorney, more information about what they can do themselves in the meantime to make sure that they get everything in order. They can go to artsteel.co slash tbpod, okay? Artsteel.co slash tbpod. And that will have a lot of the information that I've mentioned here, ways to contact me if you are in the D.C., Maryland, and Virginia area and you would like to talk more. Or if you're not, I can't, if you're not in the area, I cannot draft a will for you. But, you know, definitely feel free to send me questions about how to look for a lawyer or whether, you know, people have all kinds of blended families and issues that they want to talk about. And there's so many other issues I didn't cover that a lot of people need to be careful about. And so I actually will put all of this information in that one place, in addition to your show notes, so that they can go there and have it all in one place. Love it. Thank you, Art. So our last question of the evening, what's one action? that you think our community should take this week that's going to help them to blaze their trail? Oh, boy. One action this week. Find out how to get a power of attorney. Find out whether or not your state has the statutory form or contact a lawyer to draft one for you. That is the one action I would tell everybody to take. And Stephen, thank you so, so, so much for having me on and for 
allowing me (laughs) to geek out, if you will, about this. But it's something that I feel is so important and it's missing, completely missing from the conversation about how we can do this. And I mentioned to you that I am so passionate about this and I haven't said this anywhere. So I'm saying it here because I feel like if I say it here, it'll go into the universe. But my goal is to have a million people of color pledge or have a will done within the next five years. You heard it here first, folks. That is my goal. So I am going to, I am going on the, you know, I told myself that when I left and started my own law firm, I was basically going to get like a bullhorn and just like drive through neighborhoods and just tell people to get a will. Thanks to the internet, I don't need to do that. But that's my goal. That's my mission because it's so simple and it's the one thing we're missing. And we can accumulate wealth all we want if we don't pass it down correctly. It's no good. Because you can't take it with you when you go. That's right. Art, you have been a blessing. You've blessed my soul. You've spit so much wisdom tonight. I'm just like blown away. I can't wait to listen to this as a consumer and really put some of this into action. And I've finally taken action in doing this myself. And I can't stress the importance of our community enough. And aren't you relieved? I cannot stress it enough how much weight that took off of Mm -hmm. our show. For years, we knew we needed to do it, and we just didn't get it done. And coming into last year, we said, hey, you know, this is irresponsible of us as parents. I mean, that was the motivation to get it done, but we finally did it. Yeah. I know that, God forbid, something should happen to myself and or Kristen. We have that protection. We have that in place to, as you said, pass that on. So. All right, thank you so much for sharing this wisdom and so grateful to you for, for being on the podcast and looking forward to your continued journey. And we never talked about the podcast, uh, <laughs> yeah. Legalese, but... Yeah, it's called Legalese for Entrepreneurs. Yeah, so definitely, you know, subscribe and check Art out there. Art, thank you so much. Steven, it's been an honor. And again, I can't believe that just a year ago, I discovered your podcast and I'm now a guest, so... Thank you for being one of those people who has been so amazing in helping and blazing the trail and looking back and reaching back and pulling up. So I thank you so much for this opportunity and for a chance to spread this really important message. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Trailblazers podcast. I'll be posting links to all of today's book recommendations and links mentioned on our show notes page at tdpod.com. If today was your first time listening to the Trailblazers podcast, I just want to extend a warm Trailblazers welcome to you. We're so happy to have you here and we encourage you to go ahead and hit that subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. Go ahead and browse through some of our past episodes to keep the knowledge flowing. If you're a fan of the podcast and today's content, and you're maybe already subscribed to the podcast, please continue to share and invite your friends, your family, your colleagues to listen to an episode that you think might impact them most. We believe that someone listening to these inspiring stories will be moved to make significant changes that will have generational impact for many others, both now and well into the future. Don't miss next week's episode. New episodes are released each and every Monday by about 5 a.m. Eastern. Trailblazers, jump off this podcast today. Go find a way to rise above, go way beyond, and 
keep blazing your trail. Cheers. Cheers.